And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Fantastic. Love it. Woo. I'm stoked you're on. I've been, um, it all boils down to the tardy grade, so I'm so stoked that you're on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Super appreciated, dude. Yeah, oh my God. I love to, love to talk toys, love to talk to process, love to talk to industry and market and stuff. You know, it's, hey. I don't do much else but this. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, never a dull moment. Awesome, awesome. Well, this is Toys on Tap, so welcome. Please introduce yourself before we go. Sure, by all means. My name is Kent Fencher. I am the owner-operator of Doomco Designs, a small business here in Chicago, Illinois, dedicated to the digital design and occasional fabrication of art toys, sculptures, and collectibles. Uh, basically, I put out my own work and collaborate with others and uh, do contracted work here and there as well to help bring other people's uh, 2D ideas to 3D life. As well as my own, you know, gotta, <laughs> Lord knows there are so many things I want to get out there into the world and uh, yeah, so little, so little time and comparative capital. Dude, that <laughs> sounded like such the perfect commercial tagline too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've, uh, yeah, had a good amount of uh, work just streamlining that, uh, yeah. those couple of lines, you know, it's always good to have a couple of long lines for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. So Hey, you know what? Let's boil it all the way back. Let's take it all the way back to your beginnings. You're a kid. What is the type of like role that toys are playing in your life? You're growing up. Did you have a bunch? All that stuff. You know, that's a really good question. Um, toys played, I think, a bit more of an atypical role in my life compared to most Americans, if not most male Americans my age, I'm, I just turned 30 last April. Yeah. So my my mom was a, kind of a super intense tiger mom, to be honest, and uh, was very, was, was way more education focused and yeah. centric than anything else. Um, to that end, she, she gave me like a lot of books, a lot of like science toys and stuff, but you know, throughout my entire childhood, I only ever had like one Nerf gun. Like I, she okay. didn't want me having. I, I had like squirt guns and stuff, but like any, I she probably didn't want to deal with darts. Yeah, I didn't, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know the the sorts of toys I really grew up with were um, a lot of Lego stuff. Um, as much as I wanted action figures, I did not get too many. So. Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm to this day not so much of an action figure collector myself. I'm a huge comic book nerd. Huge, yeah. huge comic book head, but um that particular part of the fan base is is a whole other thing that I just I don't really have the taste or really money for. I'd rather, you know, keep putting out my own stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's you know, I love when there are toy creators that don't collect. It's it like yeah. I used to find myself in there, but uh, that has slowly transitioned. You know, I I pick up like a a small handful of like designer vinyl toys yeah. pretty much at like every show I go to these days. That's that's kind of how I treat myself and how I like keep up collecting as far as like the toy front because it's just <sighs> toys as a medium are so it's it's so gigantic and yeah. <laughs> With with horizons that are that are basically like un unforeseeable, mm-hmm. it's it's so large as a medium and near impossible to tell where it really begins and it ends. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean there there are sets of standards across like tastes and like what people are looking for in like the industry and market, but like I mean, geez, you know, resin to vinyl to like bronze to anything you know it's yeah it's a, it's, it's a wild west market out there <laughs> as far as like what you know people can uh justifiably include as a toy so yeah which makes it i think too like the expansiveness of it i don't have enough money in the world to get all the toys breach oh my gosh yeah and there's a yeah. like I think toys on tap, the the problematic piece with this podcast is that I have so many artists that come on that I'm like, yeah, take my money. But after <laughs> 200 interviews, stop taking my money. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. God, I hear that. When I was really getting into the industry, um, I was kind of buying too many toys. But, yeah. you know, I, what is too many toys also? <laughs> so I, 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 you know, I told myself I'm going to I'm going to cut it back. I'm going to scale it back because I. As much as I love vinyl, I don't have the space and more importantly, the capital, because I'd really rather keep putting all my money that I feel comfortable parting with into making these things to to do the business, you know? Yeah. It's a whole lot. It's a whole thing, you know, but um, at the very least, you you can't help but like treat yourself to a couple of neat pieces of art and everything. And now and again, because what what else is the point of life, right? If yeah. not <laughs> surround yourself with things that make you happy and things that yeah. you love and stuff. So yeah. yeah. And I try like, I don't know. I think with collecting and stuff, it's like things that mean something or things that I love. And if the smaller the item, the better, because then I have like enough <laughs> shelf space. That's why. Yeah. I was pumped. Your little Tarvis is like two inches. Oh, fantastic. So it's like, awesome. It's not going to take up a lot of shelf space. That's great. There you go. Oh, um, yeah. With Growing up in a, in a space where you don't have many action figures and like very few Nerf guns, any of that stuff. Sure. How do you get to a point where in your like growing up history where you want to do art and you want to like all of a sudden start dipping into toys? Like, what is that? How does that happen? Jeez. Oh, um, <laughs> So basically, I guess let's fast forward over to college a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I got my degree in mechanical engineering uh, at UPenn. And uh, after graduating, moved back home to Chicago, uh, where I tried to find a job that would be both entertaining enough and pay well enough. Mm-hmm. 
I unfortunately only found gigs that were one or the other and yeah. kind of made me question what the hell am I just even doing here, you know? Yeah. So basically to that end, um, you know, I decided to both try to pursue something that would put my degree to solid use and something that I would like actually love and, and be sincerely proud of at the end of the day. Um, and also, <laughs> weirdly importantly, something that doesn't particularly have a lot of moral weight <laughs> on okay. the market. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, I've never wanted to go into like arms manufacturing or like yeah. cars, you know, like that's all too serious and potentially, I don't know if I could sleep at night sort of a thing. <laughs> yeah. So collectibles is like a very nice and low fidelity thing, but also more importantly than that, it's it's just a good way. It's it's a in in the grand scheme of fine art, it is arguably the youngest sort of subfield of you know I guess higher end art collectibles, but it just it's there's something magical about it in my humble opinion. You know, yeah. it's um. Yeah, just uh, like weird high-end designer toys is, is such a strange market that I like who knows what its future is going to be. I think there's like solid growth, but uh, considering how much it fluctuates, yeah. uh, who knows? But yeah, you know, I it's just there's a there's a really there's a lot of solid mediums that are apt for expressing a lot of good ideas. And designer toys as a market is at this point relatively primed to accept said new ideas mm -hmm. compared to, you know, like the early 2000s or the late 90s where no one knew what the hell, like, you know, you were supposed to do with these things. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you create this, like you, you decide you want to start making this stuff. What's that first toy? What's the first thing that you're like, this is... Or the first design, at least. That was actually a Tarvis the Tardigrade. Yes. <laughs> Funnily enough, yeah, that was my first boy. A sweet, um, a sweet little baby. There we go. What made you... So yeah. Tardigrades are fascinating in that they, like, can survive any amount of whatever. Um, so what... Why the Tardigrade? Why is that the Tarvis? So it was admittedly a little bit more in vogue, I want to say, in like, God, what was that, 2017, 2018, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but truly, you know, for my first forays into, I guess, uh, the desired sofubi or soft vinyl mediums, I, I really wanted to aim for something that would be relatively accessible and relatively mass producible if I was able to scale it up to, I don't know, marketplaces such as like museums and stuff, you know. Uh, but all of that to that end, I still wanted something that was, I guess, firmly representative of traditional like Sofubi style, because that was really the type of toy that like as an adult, I, I truly fell in love with. Yeah. Uh, just seeing Instagram creators like five to six years back in Japan of making crazy kaiju that like I have never seen before in my life. It just like blew my mind at the time. Yeah. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with that idea and with the medium. Um, but with kaiju in particular, I really tried to approach it as what is like a 
relatively accessible kaiju. What is, you know, something that kind of exists and is relatively popular and is, you know, a fucking monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, just like a bolt of lightning just came to my brain. Just tardigrade, boom. Yeah. And walking through that process, because in the beginning, I mean, every toy creator that I talk to, it's like the wild, wild west almost. Like, you don't know where you're headed, what you're doing. Oh, yeah. You have this idea. What is the first thing that you do? You just try to get it out to someone as quickly as possible? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I I pretty much handle all of my own 3D sculpting slash 3D design work uh, in a mix of uh, VR, actually. So VR sculpting. The Tardigrade, funnily enough, is the world's first product and toy designed entirely in virtual reality. Oh, Um, yeah. So in the weird history books of product design, I hope I get at least a footnote, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but um, for the most part, I I mean, there might be a little bit of like sketching out on paper to start with. But for the most part, I really just jump into the modeling side of things. But yeah, I that's kind of just how I've been trained, but also how I just think at this point. Yeah, um, it's just it's. I, like I, I'm, I'm more than happy to work with collaborators or for contracted work off of 2D art. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's super easy to interpret that and make it work for me. But if I personally have an idea, I'm going straight to 3D. I just, yeah, I know how it works. You know, easy enough. And so, you said something that's crazy, right? Yeah. Like the the first toy that is fully 3D sculpted. But like in virtual reality. Oh yeah. What the heck? (laughs) Yeah, describe what that means. Were you in you like using ZBrush or something within virtual reality? What does that mean? Yeah, it's this program called Adobe Medium, actually. Um, put out by or I guess recent or I guess not even recently, but acquired by uh Adobe and is and now has a new version that is rolled into this other creative suite platform thing that they've got, et cetera, et cetera. But basically the platform just involved putting on a headset, having controllers and essentially controlling 3D voxels in a space according to a set number of potential commands that you can control with said controllers. So yeah, you know, um, Yeah, it is basically just, you know, putting down virtual clay, essentially, uh, in a theoretical 3D space that you can scale and edit and refine and move pieces of and just kind of go from there. Um, Yeah. In my experience, it is uh, easily the most uh, just powerful, like immediately digitally, but also sculpturally powerful platform that people can have. Um, and don't get me wrong, ZBrush is great and definitely has its uses and can do a bit more as far as very certain use case scenarios. But when it comes to, you know, developing something in 3D, I'm going to want an actual 3D setting. I'm not a sculptor in real life by any means, but mm-hmm. plotting on 2D stuff, unless I'm doing more traditional CAD work, which is the other half of my sort of like design pipeline, um, it's it's not as immediately like sensorily fulfilling. And I think, I suspect, I can't prove this because how could you prove this, but I suspect that that leads to more static positioning 
because if you're just working off of a set of reference angles, you know, front, side, 45 degree up, then you're going to get used to perspectives at those angles pretty much as a hardwired thing in your brain mm -hmm. versus having a, a, a product, a thing in your hand that really has no set reference aside from every angle that you look at it from. Yeah, and it seems like, man, the way you describe it, being like enveloped in and like I, I've used a very rudimentary like 3D sculpting on an iPad and it's like it turns a little bit. It does some stuff, but sure. being like involved in it where the whole thing is spinning and there's not really an axis, correct? Yeah, no, I mean, there there are, but like you, you don't really have the ability to lock them on to your immediate viewport. So yeah, you do have like coordinates that you can edit things along with, but um, it's not as you, you yeah you do, you don't have like a, a cube that you can be like front left top and then see those sorts of parametric views from there right um, which is a bit of a bummer but in my opinion also really helps that sort of like organic sensation because you know seeing something at like five degrees is gonna be able be able to give you a lot more theoretical information than being locked only at like you know, zero and 90, essentially, but that's getting into the weed. Yeah. <laughs> so as you like, you create the Tarbis, like what all of a sudden, cause it doesn't, it doesn't just die out. This isn't one of those ideas that just goes away. Right. Like oh, it, yeah, yeah, Tarbis yeah. is a good solid following. Love all the Tarbis heads out there. <laughs> and so what, ha like you release it, what's that feeling that all of a sudden it like, it blows up. So how do you how do you kind of grasp that? It's it's great, man. I mean, I you know it's it's pretty much exactly the spot I want to be in <laughs> with the yeah. here in the line and everything. Um, there are really no plans at all. The sunset, him. I mean, it's we interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We must crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures. DKE. Also, in a lot of ways, kind of just an exercise in the potential of vinyl. Um, I've done a very bad job at any sort of backstory flushing yeah. out for the figure. Something on the very long list of things to do, I assure you. But as far as like new crazy styles that like I'm gonna want to keep releasing, that's always gonna keep happening so long as I'm in toys, you know. Yeah. And then but, you create that and then you start to move. Does that solidify your desire to stay in designer toys? Like coming out with that figure. Oh, yeah. At the very least, it's like a solid baseline, you know? Yeah. I don't know, keep putting out into the market and stuff. I mean, for such an industry that's like predicated on novelty, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very, very helpful to have at least a couple of like relative like evergreen things for people to like want to keep an eye out for. Yeah. And what like a dope 
baseline, right? Like a so successful baseline. So good. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you start there and it doesn't pigeonhole you because you don't actually stay there. You you start to branch out and create other stuff. Where are you pulling these ideas from? Where are you like pulling all your inspirations from? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I guess in some, I guess part of my creative aspirations these days uh go into license pursuing admittedly um i've got the astro boy license for another year year two i've got uh at least two approved pieces set to go on the docket and a third that i am (laughs) that might be a little bit too big for my britches but you gotta shoot big right (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, all of which will have uh, 3D printed prototypes at DesignerCon in a couple of weeks. Awesome. So look ahead to, to that. But um, yeah, you know, I a lot of people come to toys and designer toys specifically from illustration and from 2D work and wanting to see their 2D work made 3D, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm in a sense approaching this from the opposite vector <laughs> you yeah. know i'm like i've been very i'm very familiar with the engineering behind it all and i i like to think that i can effectively 3d model anything that people need yeah you know? so i as you know it's it's a weird thing to try to grapple with like wanting to call yourself an engineer versus a designer versus an artist because I wear so many fucking hats. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, you, you do what you got to do. You yeah. Know? Like, you, I mean, you just have a vision and you just, you know, want to make it the best case scenario and make as much money off of this vision as possible. Right. And yeah. Just keep going from there, basically, you know, and hopefully at the end of my life, I can uh, look back at my shelf of artist proofs and uh, feel satisfied. Yeah. And so you've talked about these licenses. Do you work with these companies and they say like, hey, you can produce this kind of toy? Like walk me through that. What does that look like for you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, every different uh, every different company has, you know, their own different rules and their own different etiquette, for lack yeah. of a better term, that they want to play with. Um, but, you know, the, the nice ones can be um, incredibly accommodating and very helpful and... The not so nice ones can be uh, just excessively hands off or excessively nitpicky. Yeah, um, not really an in between, but like it's not really. I don't know. There are much worse working situations and working professional relationships. You know. Yeah. There's there's a sweet spot to everything, and sometimes people can just go overboard in one direction or the other. So yeah, and I'm assuming the guidelines are like, hey, don't do a crazy version of this toy. Just stay right. within so, for the most part, you know, just so long as like people's IPs are being represented well, and that there is you know a solid potential market for a product, people are you know relatively game. Yeah. Company, you know, I mean, companies big enough for brands big enough essentially have entire departments dedicated to like licensing out their IPs. So, yeah, yeah you know, it's all they're incentivized from an angle to just do more business. It's, yeah. It's, you know, just the baseline sort of of, of kind of business. 
<laughs> How did you yeah. get involved with something like Astro Boy? Not the biggest IP. Sure. But, but sure. definitely a good one to be involved oh, with. I love it. God, so I mean, how did that happen? You know, I've been an Astro Boy fan for uh, just years and years. Yeah. I, uh, I read the classic, like uh, the Dark Horse collected volumes back in high school. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of just you know, did a bit of digging and eventually kind of got hooked, hooked up with them by a friend Yeah, <laughs> for all the good that the digging did me. <laughs> but, you know, funnily enough, I, that sort of online digging or at least uh, social network pulling is very useful and it, it works to a degree. I'll say that much. Yeah. Yeah. And it, which is so like, what a success to like, do the digging, right? Like it could connect you in some of the best places. Sure. Uh, like I said, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats in this game unless yeah. you just have a solid product line with a rabid audience fan base. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's at the end of the day, you know, as much as I love toys and I love my products, I am in this to make money so I can keep making toys. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's a very intense aurus aurus, but. Uh, you got to be aware of that unless your pockets are super, super deep. So, right. So, and then you brought up, you're going to be at designer con, right? Your own booth. Oh, yes. Rocking it. Awesome. Do you know, do you have a booth number to share with everyone? Oh God. Uh, Let me me check really quick. Yeah. (laughs) I always forget about that part, honestly. Well, cause Uh, they, it seems like they don't publish it for everyone already. They just publish it for you guys. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it's 1412. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it'll be a good show. I'm super psyched this year. Um, it'll be good. <laughs> Last yeah. year, was, uh, you know, a bit of the show basically getting back to its own footing, specifically from COVID. Yeah. You know, which I don't fault them at all. But uh, yeah, it seems like things are way back in full swing this year. And I'm super psyched. <laughs> Which it's is also a really perfect time to leave Chicago. Let me tell you, yeah. like mid-November, like a, a week-long Cali vacation is very nice. Yeah. Oh, Dude, yes. that, that's so good. So you 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 are in this process of creating. Um, do you when you look over your work, but from uh the Tarvis to the work that we're gonna get to next and Astro Boy and working with all that, do you see that you have a style? Oh gosh, I, I, man, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I honestly don't know. Okay. (laughs) You know, I, I really do not know. I mean, I'm, part of me also doesn't know if I have like a good enough eye for sculpture to be able to point to a style in the world of like soft vinyl toys and modern soft vinyl kaiju. I easily do. Weirdly enough, like I can I, I can tell like right off the top what is an MVH piece, what is a Paul Kaiju piece, what is a Wonder Goblin piece, you know, like without any information aside from just what the sculpts look like, yeah. you know. But aside from that, um oh gosh, I you know, like I said, because I approach this from the other perspective of things, I I try to pride myself a bit more on being able to really hone in on anyone else's work yeah you know 
like on on the one hand you know there is the sculpture art side of things where like sure i have my own ideas and like express them my own ways even including the astro boy stuff you know those are still technically my proportions as recommended by tezuka productions Mm -hmm. but it is still like kind of my work you know all purely created in pure geometry by myself so that's its own thing but on the other hand, the engineering side of things, you know, I make it a point to get as exact a, a, a result as possible from people's work, from people's original 2D concept art, because on the it's it's very satisfying mm-hmm. <laughs> to do that from it's yeah, very satisfying, but it's also just I don't know. I like kind of pride myself on that and it feels like the main selling point of my services if not one of the main selling points yeah and you like i've i mean i've heard people talk about how hard it is to develop a style right to develop these different things and so it's not shocking when people look back over their work and say like i i don't know if i have it yet i don't know what it is or it, like that seems to be a, a normal occurrence that i hear um however do you feel that you are good at designing a specific type of work? Oh gosh, a specific. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. I can design anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I And here's the thing too. I like, as, as much as I love sculpting stuff, as much as I love, you know, the process of designing, my work is very much geared towards physical production in some way, shape or form at some point throughout a design's lifetime. Um, A lot of other people who use this 3D sculpting software um, Mm. use it for animation purposes or other, you know, rendering purposes. But because I'm particularly focused on being like a product designer of it all, it's, um, I, you you know, there's not really anything that like I, I, can't do <laughs> yeah you know, it's, it's just it, yeah it's all kind of unfolded in front of me and um there there was a point where I I guess I was still kind of grappling with the learning curve but at this point dude let me tell you I can I can do anything but the real the real challenge as far as the entire process of, of toy and product production is not in the modeling of it all Mm-hmm. It is rather in the manufacturing consider- consideration and more importantly, the economic consideration of it all. Yeah. So, you know, like this is a bit more of the designer side of my practice, um, but almost anyone can go onto Alibaba, find a factory and mail over a clay prototype to make something. Mm-hmm. During that process, though, there's no guarantee that you won't be absolutely screwed over by the factory with no accountability, someone that you've never met before with either just shoddy product or something that they've just crapped out and moved along to, right now. So there are a lot more steps in the chain as far as bringing a solid design to market and making a solid amount of money off of that design in perpetuity. So. You know, that's in some ways like where a lot of my attention is focused and just Mm -hmm. a lot of the natural kind of like keeping the gears running and everything is focused. But um, yeah, you know, that's also another bit of the work that I try to 
pride myself on as far as, um, you know, letting people come to me with any sorts of things they might want to get off the ground. Yeah. I hear a lot about fear about working with these factories in other countries. Cause you like, we get those messages on Instagram. They're like, Hey, are you looking to produce a toy? And it's like, Hey, because you found me, uh-huh. I'm not going to produce with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and like, so, I don't, I don't fault them at all. You know, like they got to do it. They got to, you know, hunt for clients and stuff, yeah. but it just, it comes down to accountability. You know, I, how many people, even in the toy designer world who are kind of on one level insane enough to like pursue this medium, how many people are going to want to go to China or Japan to see the factory firsthand? How many people, how many factory owners are going to let people do that? You know, like, it's just, there are, you know, like, what's the old adage? You can either have it done like right fast or cheap good fast or cheap exactly we get two of them exactly yeah (laughs) so it's there there are a lot of different like you know weird bits and considerations for the entire thing um not even to go into the weeds of like the manufacturing considerations of it all which is really kind of where i come from specifically design Mm -hmm. for manufacturability specifically for plastic parts is kind of just what i've always wanted to get into (laughs) yeah it's just stuff i don't know toys um just gun pla like injection molded stuff or resin bus and designer toys just vinyl is ah yeah just all of it it's great (laughs) yeah so as you have been producing all these toys following uh tarvis and and doing those things um what is your timeline that you usually work with like by the from the time that you have this concept in your head to the time in which you're like okay factory let's do this what's your time frame that you usually work within gosh it it yeah well i mean okay so obviously it depends on depends on every project yeah yeah a different beast um if i am like absolutely raring to go like mm-hmm. i'm you know ready to throw the cash needed at the factory to just get this out and going on the road um i guess design time uh would take me anywhere from like maybe like a day to a week for a a thing that i'm super passionate about and have a very completed vision in my head for yeah and turnaround time for manufacturing from that point is probably either like anywhere from three to six months which is the worst yeah, I it's just at that point, like you gotta you gotta plan for the year. Yeah, you know, like it's in a lot of ways, like designer toys, unless you have a very passionate fan base, mm-hmm. is a game of economies of scale. You yeah, know? it's just you have to be able to deal with pricing at different manufacturing quantities and <laughs> I guess in a bit more of an irritating wrinkle, the shipping considerations that take part because of said manufacturing considerations yeah. as well. So it's it's a whole it's a whole chain, you know, it's it's like the supply chain wrapped up with like a manufacturing chain process. So yeah, it's it's a whole thing. And um, you know, like I said, I as much as I, you know, want to put my own art out there and my own work and my own designs. It is, um, 
Uh, I I try to bill myself, I think, a bit more as a designer than an artist in that vein. You know, okay. I, it's a bit easier to help people, you know, do do the same thing that I generally do. Yeah. You know? Like 3D model and product design coordination for other people is immediately less financially risky and um, stressful. Stressful is the bigger thing than the risk for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So eh. when you I we I think we skipped over it a little bit from when you graduated with an engineering degree. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And then couldn't, which is okay. I love, that's why I love these podcasts. We like <laughs> continue down this road and I still have questions in the back of my head. Um, so we, you graduated with an engineering degree and then you had that split where you wanted a fun job and a well-paying job. I could never find that. Um, and somehow you got from that point to making toys or from yeah, the desire. Yeah. It was it was basically in that maybe like six months to a year span after I returned home that I was doing some like passive freelance like 3D modeling work a bit more in the CAD direction of things because um, I just got out of college and uh, you know just had a bunch of CAD work that I de- that I did and was like might as well keep this party going yeah um, and yeah, you know, it was, I, I had a couple of gigs and uh, a couple of things, a couple of like custom 3D printed pieces that I put out there. Um, and, you know, kind of just like that workflow enough mm-hmm. and just being personally accountable enough, but still working with other people enough. They <laughs> just kind of want to do it as, or at least try to do it full time, <laughs> yeah. you know? At least try to start building the ship while I decided to set sail in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh-huh. so did you, were there other jobs? Like, cause you're still looking for that job and you're doing this like freelance work. Were there other jobs that you were trying to pick up on? Because toys going full-time in toys is an interesting dynamic. It doesn't like, we rarely see that. Yeah. It's but, tough. Yeah. It's and tough. it seems like oh, yeah. a crazy thing. And even like even so I I just make toys through uh like bootleg work and stuff. And so sure. if I do that kind of stuff, even looking from this side, doing that full time scares me. Like I never would. I never would. I because I never want to depend on that. But it's impressive when people do it. So before you get to that point, you're working random jobs, doing freelance stuff, and you're just are you just slowly dabbling, like, oh, maybe I'll create this, maybe I'll do this. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I was kind of just kind of, man, I was kind of just exploring to see what felt the, what felt like the best potential returns on investment yeah. regarding my time and potential capital that I would put into actually making physical product, mm. you know? And let me tell you, there's a reason why just plastic parts aren't made in the United States. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a historical reason in that said labor was shipped overseas back in the 80s and now pretty much exists solely in China, Japan, Thailand, Southeast Asia in general, which is, by the way, why Southeast Asia in general is now basically the designer toy capital of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, here in the States, we do our thing, but like it's, it's nothing compared to the designer toy circuit that just exists in that part of the pacific yeah um 
Oh, I definitely lost the train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I was talking about if you uh, were just dabbling in things while you were trying to figure out if you wanted to do toys full time. Right. So like I, I got, I had a couple of like cosplay prop commissions and um, like a, a couple of like product, more traditional product design commissions as well. Um, and yeah, I, you know, it wasn't really until I think I both fell down the Instagram rabbit hole, but yep. also went out to my first designer con too, at which point I was, you know, it's just, and <laughs> here's the thing too. I'm from Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Rota Fugi has been around since 08, something like that. Uh, the first time I ever went, I mm-hmm. was maybe a freshman in high school or something, maybe a year or so after they opened and immediately fell in love with the medium. Um, yeah. I also got a chance to check out the Kid Robot store back in the day, too, in New York. And it was just this sort of like Desire Toys seemingly was like making its introduction on the national American stage during that time. And then, of course, with basically everything in this country, got kneecapped by the fucking 08 recession. Yep. <laughs> you know, basically explains why Kid Robot the store shut down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So part of me just kind of latched on to the idea of being able to do that and being able to like make your own designs and just sculpture work and collectibles. And I kind of just had that in the back of my mind. You know, for something that I could potentially do, like, with, you know, because I've just always wanted to make things, too, and be known for making things. It's just, it all all feels like it all just kind of rolled together in the place, yeah. you know? Um, but, yeah, I eventually uh, went out to DesireCon for my first time six, five years ago, something like that, and uh, met the gentleman uh, who I mostly work with on most, if not all of my projects, at least for vinyl, uh, mm-hmm. Joe Somers of Squibble Bank, a guy who, funnily enough, only lives a couple of miles away from me. Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, going uh, traveling across the country to meet someone who uh, lives only a couple of miles away from you is yeah. a value proposition, but it really worked. And um, we're we're pretty tight and we're good friends. And um, yeah, you know, I I go going back to that sort of level of accountability. Um, I very much like working with him and very much value working with him because of that immediate direct line of communication and the sort of knowledge that product is going to be a high quality. I've I've worked with him and have had enough things made with him to the point that I, I know the success rate of parts that I'm going to get and it is very high. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, after I, just went to decon for the first time and saw a lot of other, you know, small indie artists just get into vinyl and, you know, resin casting at home and everything. I just... Thursday night, 7 p.m. YouTube Live, it's Toys Alive! Toys Alive! Toys Alive! Toys Alive! There's way cool artist unboxing. No it counts under a thousand followers. What? Art out there for 30 bucks or less. Radical. Collector spotlight. Ooh, collectors. Current upcoming shows and drops. Right. Giveaways. Right. Short chats with artists. <laughs> 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 News from the hood. Yeah. 
100% indie all the time. That's, That's Toys, Toys Live. Toys Live. Thursday nights, 7 p.m. PST, YouTube Live. Resolving, do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? there, like I said, too, there are a couple of like Japanese Sofubi, like real pure Sofubi guys that um, are kind of like monster of like the yearly quarter people mm. that I like found way back in the day. Um, and just really fell in love with something about like kaiju, like this big, anywhere from this to this big, like really, really gets to me. There's just yeah. nothing in this world like it, you know, like that just pure novelty of like sculptural idea of not something, not having nothing in this world, having that form ever is gets to me. Yeah. I think designer con itself is kind of intimidating as well for probably for new creators um with resin casting uh, so much of it like you like we control ourselves like if it's a bad cast a bad cast it is what it is um and like that type of making but with um sofubi and soft vinyl and stuff and all that it's done by factories. So it's always going to be, you hope really good casting. So it really comes down to like your idea and how well that got executed. Exactly. And, and being the first person, like being, having your first design and walking into designer con, like uh, what's great. And what comes to mind is um, Ragnar from last bastion. Chris is great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I love that team. They're super cool. And Ragnar is like an impressive feat oh, of yeah. design. Beefy boy. And so uh, like going into designer con thinking like, man, I got this cool idea. And then walking by booths like that has got to be the most intimidating thing. I mean, I would hope either intimidating or inspirational. There know? we go. That's good. <laughs> I, you know, I, I read this weird crazy story or something a while back maybe it's like an adage or parable yeah. <laughs> whatever <laughs> about like 10 men being terrified of a tiger because none of them had the sort of confirmation bias or the idea that like one man could kill a tiger you know right it's just you know when it comes to like developing products a lot of which can come out of your, you know, your own pocket to try to act as an investment to blah, 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 blah. It's, it's both a matter of like risk management, but also seeing the potential value in things, you know? Yeah. Futures where they're, where they don't exist currently, Mm -hmm. you know? And that is, that, that's a super fun part of the job. You know, I have so many more sculpts and projects that I've brought to market. It's like a one to four or five ratio. Yeah. It's just, it's part of the thing. That's the sort of like artist side of me that feels like it's just uh, sometimes like a Sisyphusian task of pushing a boulder up a hill, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, it's, it can be done. You know, and it's like, sure, there are learning curves to everything in life, right? But once you kind of get that sort of like four or 5D vision of seeing something that you could see in like thousands of people's hands or on shelves across the country, I mean, why not go for it? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I, that's, I, like I said, I want to, want to see my work out there and I want, 
people to get to appreciate my art. So yeah. So here's yeah. the here's a twofold question. Sure, um, one, looking over all your art that you've created, all the designs, sure. everything that you've brought to market and not brought to market. Sure. Um, the two part. What are you more most proud of? Okay. And then where do you think you're headed next? Oh God, headed next. <laughs> oh, that's the who of it all. Yeah. <clears throat> Gosh. I think I'm the most proud of though. Um on on from from one perspective, definitely Tarvis, just yep. because I was able to crack the seal and you know serve as a really good introduction for myself to the entire industry and just kind of just get some bearing as to, you know, what the hell this entire process is about. Yeah. But from another perspective, um, I guess the more engineering perspective, funnily enough, is uh, a design that's coming out in, I think, Q2 or Q3 of 2023. Mm -hmm. This is one of my next two Astro Boy designs and is very fun. It's very yeah. rad. And uh, with any luck, um, yeah, we'll be ahead. We'll see. <laughs> Will we see that design, the concept design at DesignerCon? Yeah, I've got a 3D printed prototype. Um, aside from some stock that I'll have, I've got this uh, collapsible tower thing to uh, display all my prototypes for the years. So people can swing by and uh, yeah, check out what is uh, in the works. Awesome. Yes. Um, the last part of the podcast that I love doing with artists is um, plugging everything that you are about anything oh, where sure. we can find you if you've been on other podcasts all that stuff so plug away man oh man plug away let's see uh feel free to follow up with me at uh instagram.com slash doomco designs uh handle on instagram is basically just at doomco designs uh that's really the platform that i'm the most active on uh feel free to keep up with my stories at the you're interested in memes and angry socialist content. Um, <laughs> and I get some of my own promotion too here and there. I get it. Yeah. I throw it in to keep it fresh, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, all of my product is available pretty much on my website as well. Just www.doomcodedesigns.com. Um, otherwise, I don't know. I did just start a TikTok like last week or the week before, but... I haven't followed up on developing it. You know, it's eh, social media is a bit exhausting. It's its own job. It's its own hat, man. Yeah. It's so many hats. It's just fucking ridiculous. I <laughs> always think about that. Like, you got to get it out there, right? And at the very least, that is the nice endorphin receiving part of the back end of things. Yeah. Sometimes it can be a bit quiet to have to sit on a design in secrecy for however long it takes to get off the ground so that other people don't snipe it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, never a dull moment, you know? <laughs> Dude, Kent, thank you so much for coming on Toys on Top. Thank you so much for having me, bud. This has been awesome. Awesome.